Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. I'm your host, Todd Marchant, and this is a show for those who desire increased capacity, the capacity needed to live fully and to show up well for those you love. If your life is anything like ours, you often experience the reality that you don't have much to give when your own cup is empty. These struggles inspired my wife, Ashley, and I to embark on an ongoing journey of healing and wholeness. Our journey has not removed the challenges out of life, but it has given us practical tools to increase our capacity to deal with those challenges and to create the life we want. We created this podcast to share those tools so you can care for yourself and so we can together care for the world. Enjoy the show today. And if you're looking for additional support, head on over to beholddogood.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. I am honored today to have Linda Fogg Phillips on the show. Linda is an international author, a public speaker, and a consultant who has spent over 33 years studying health behaviors, things like nutrition, fitness, mental health. She's currently the director of the Tiny Habits Academy, the host of the podcast, Pearl Habits, Creating Beauty and Positivity from Life's Challenges, and has coached over 15,000 people worldwide. Belinda, two of my favorite tidbits about you uh, is one, a few years ago, you were crowned Miss United States of America, Woman of Achievement. And two, what I think is the coolest is that amidst everything else you've done, you're a mother of eight children, which I think is so cool. And and we'll talk some about that later. But Linda, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks, Todd. I'm so excited to be here. So yeah, let me comment about the mother of eight children. That really, if somebody were to say, what was your number one um, accomplishment in life? It would be that. It's also my most, most challenging, as you know, when you have children and also the most rewarding. So uh, it's where I've learned the most. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, you and I have talked about it, but our community is filled with people who are who are trying to do good, you know, that want to be good and to have an impact in the world. And, and while our desires reach, you know, many different places, the most common is in our the walls of our own home. Yeah. The, the desire to show up well as a, a partner, as a as a parent, as a sibling, a grandparent, you know, whatever it might be. And and so I think your life and the work you're doing is is just going to be an inspiration to our community. So thank you. Well, thank you, Todd. So as we as we think about the topic today, this idea of tiny habits, and we're going to talk about the tiny habits method quite a bit. But I think it's very timely. We're recording this here at the end of 2022. It will be this episode will be released at the beginning of 2023. We're all going to be filled with our New Year's resolutions and thinking about these changes that would be really meaningful to make in our life. And it's so challenging to stick with those things and to actually have those desires, those goals we have translate into breakthrough changes in our life. And, and what you and your brother BJ uh, are doing is, is helping provide a very fundamental, very accessible way to really create those breakthroughs. And so I'm excited to talk about it. And, and maybe where we start is this tiny habits method. Why don't you just tell us where did it originate? Yeah. How, how did it come to be? Oh, yes. BJ um, is a research behavior research scientist at Stanford university. And as such, and he's, you know, this is a, uh, a big part of his life's work at studying human behavior and really understanding how human behavior works. So in 2011, late 2011, early 2012, he was playing around a little bit with different approaches to habit formation. And he really truly feels that this is a a divinely inspired methodology 
because as he started uh, putting this process together, which I'll go into in a minute, there are some, what we call the ABCs of the tiny habits method. And as he started putting it out and having a few people try it out and test it and give them feedback, they were experiencing great success and huge breakthroughs in as little as five days. Uh, so it, it was obvious that this is a, a method that was a, a transformative method. And since that time, we've done a lot of work and especially BJ's done a lot of work on the science behind habit formation and behavior change. And we do know we do have the evidence and we do provide our coaches with the evidence that they can create changes in their clients' lives. They can create changes in their own lives. And so this is where we can say, yes, tiny habits is a scientifically proven method. In fact, it's actually the only scientifically proven method that actually works that for sustainable change long-term. Um, the ABCs, as I mentioned in habit formation, consists of three parts. And, and first, actually, Linda, before we get into that, I, I apologize for cutting you off. I, I'm really okay. getting into the details there is, is going to be where I think a lot of impact will be had. But before we jump into that, you know, you, you mentioned about the scientific evidence, you know, behind it. And all of that always intrigues me. There's a great interest I have in, in finding emerging research. And yet the most powerful is our own real life examples. Yeah. And, and for me, this approach, and I'm sure it'll come up more as the conversation goes, has really changed my paradigm about any progress I want to make in my life. And you uh, got involved with BJ's work, who's your brother, uh, really from your own personal experience, your own deep need yeah. that then led to your own breakthroughs. And so I would love to just start there before we get into the tangible details of the method itself. You know, what, what was your kind of personal experience where this created a breakthrough for you? Yeah, the true life transformation in my own life. Uh, well, let me go back a little bit, even before tiny habits came to be. Um, I was struggling with a lot of things within my family. The, the, and the, the um, first domino of a series of about 10 years of really difficult challenges, the first domino fell when my 20-year-old son passed away from an accidental Oxycontin overdose. That was devastating to me. Um, now, I know we aren't supposed to have favorite children, but he definitely was my favorite child. All my other children know that too. <laughs> <They're all> <laughs> but, but Garrett really had a special place in my heart and still does. But when he passed away, it put me into a, a depression. It made me, I, I felt apathetic. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want, I still had seven other children at home that I needed to care for and be the mom for it in addition to being a spouse. But I really struggled to do that on a daily basis. It was a, it was an ongoing battle for me. Um, and in the early days of tiny habits, you know, I'd struggled with this for about, 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 about two years. Um, and this is, uh, I'll get to the early days of tiny habits. But a year after Garrett passed away, and like I, I spent a year in pain and I'm really struggling, um, a year after Garrett passed away, I had a very severe horse accident. We used to live on a five-acre horse ranch at the time. I loved horses. Um, that was my dream. And I was out riding on a charity ride in the deserts of Nevada. And the horse that I was on was a very solid horse. Um, it's a horse that we would use. It was called a school horse because it was he would we would use him to teach children how to ride. Um, but I think that what, what I'm going to share with you that happened was God's way of pulling me out of that funk, of, of helping me realize that I just needed to get it together, basically. 
But I had a real serious accident while we were out riding. My horse reared up and fell over on top of me. It was a 1700 pound horse, very large horse. It crushed me. I, fortunately, I had a helmet on because I was riding with one of my daughters and I required her to wear a helmet. So of course I felt responsible to do that as well. And the helmet saved my life, but the horse fell over on top of me and crushed me. I stopped breathing. Uh, all my ribs in my body, in my body broke. They didn't know if I had a book broken back. I stopped breathing and they, and they life flighted me to the UMC hospital here in the trauma hospital here in Las Vegas. Um, the next day when I regained consciousness, the very first thing that came to mind, you know, the voice in your head that you hear, it was as clear as day as if somebody were standing next to me is, and these were the exact words. I, I was told your life has just been saved. So you better damn well figure out why. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's like, talk about direct, right? I, exactly. Exactly. Maybe that's what I would have said to myself, but that's what I heard. And so I thought okay, that woke me up, made me realize that, okay, I knew my purpose for living was my family, but I also knew that there was an additional purpose that I didn't recognize at that point in time or didn't see. So fast forward another year into the development of tiny habits. And I had the opportunity to work with BJ in that, in the implementation of it and teaching professionals how to use the method. Um, I realized that this, my purpose, the reason why, why my life was saved is my purpose was to give people hope. In the midst of trials, in the midst of darkness, we all need that kind of hope. And the tiny habits method has given me that hope. And let me explain uh, my very first life experience was really experiencing that with tiny habits. So here again, I was still struggling a little bit with the depression and the loss of my son and just a lot of other things that were going on in my life. I have a daughter that has bipolar and she was struggling with that quite a bit. That's as challenging as losing my son because she cycles severe. So she cycles in and out quite a bit. Um, we had a home building business in Las Vegas, which during 2008 to 2012, as you know, the housing recession really hit us hard, uh, hit us to the point where as a small home building business, privately owned, you know, home, home building business, we didn't make it through that storm. We lost our ranch. We lost our home. It was one thing after another. And I was really struggling to stay positive. Um, and that uh, ensued a conversation one day on the phone with my brother, BJ. He knew I was struggling with all these things that were coming at me at once. It just felt like I was, every time I turned around, I had another punch in the gut that just took my breath away. And one day BJ said, hey, Linda, why don't you try this tiny habit recipe and see if it helps you? At that time, the recipe didn't have a name. We've now named it. It's now called the Maui habit. But the tiny habit recipe was this. After my feet hit the floor in the morning, I will say it's gonna be a great day. And celebrate. The celebration is releasing positive emotions and using those emotions to reinforce that behavior. And so as I started practicing that habit, and, and I will be honest, when he first shared that habit with me, it's like, well, that's sort of silly. That's not going to make a difference. Why would I do that? You know, it's like, I need real help here. Um, but I also realized DJ's a pretty smart guy. And I thought, why not? You know, it's not going to take any time. It's not going to hurt me to do that. I'll try it. By day three of practicing that habit, I had a shift. I had a shift in perspective. I had a shift in mindset. That surprised me. And I think what really happened with that shift is I was able to remove myself from the mindset of being a victim to being a victor. Huge shift. By that shift, it helped me approach my day differently. 
Um, of course I celebrated. So, you know, after I did that habit, so it helped me release endorphins and dopamine very first thing in the morning as I woke up. And so by practicing that habit, it really helped me realize that I, I am in control of my day. That's a choice. How we approach our day is a choice, or we could let our day control us and, and just react to that. But that Maui habit is a habit that I've practiced every single morning since that day in 2012, when BJ suggested that I practice that habit, I have found it to be so transformative in giving me uh, the strength and the wherewithal and a positive outlook to start my day. Now, granted, our days don't always go as planned. And granted, we know that we have challenges that are coming up or things that are hard. But wouldn't it be better if we approached those hard things in a more positive mindset than feeling like we're a victim? Oh, so, totally. Yeah. Linda, I, I just got to thank you. I know, I know even here, you know, 10 plus years later, it takes courage to be open and to be vulnerable and to share those, those very hard and, and sometimes raw experiences, having gone through some of our own loss as a family and experiencing the depth of grief that comes with that. And you talk about, you know, you getting the different punches in the gut, those weren't just your normal day-to-day -day punches in the gut. I mean, you, you experienced a whole bunch of some of the the biggest kind of challenges, some of the hardest things you can go through in, in, in a quick succession. And so thank you for being willing to share you know, some of the challenge and the struggle that came as a part of that. And again, I think to your point of, of your purpose, the fact that you are where you are today and you're doing what you're doing, that in of itself, to me, inspires hope that, you know, in my own challenges, I, I can do things uh, to make progress and to heal and to grow. And I also think that this habit, this method that BJ recommended to you, the fact that you created a habit right then and there, the next day that has stuck for 10 years, that yeah, in of itself <laughs> is, is amazing and is evidence of the power of this method. And so before we get into the, the ABCs of tiny habits, the method itself, I've always found as you've taught this, the, the context of the, of the science, the behavioral science behind the method really helps to reinforce why the method works so well. And so uh, I know it's called the fog behavioral model. Is that right? Did I get it yes. right? Uh -huh. So the fog behavioral model, walk us through that. Yeah. Well, the fog behavior model is something that BJ designed, I think about 25 or 30 years ago. And it really is what gave birth to the tiny habits method as he was looking at this model. Now, the model states, and just to clarify, um, when we're looking at behavior design, models tell us how to think. They give us a process for thinking about a certain situation. Methods give us how to do. So the tiny habits is a method. It's how to create habits. The fog behavior model is how it helps us to think about human behavior. How does human behavior work? And the fog behavior model states that behavior happens when motivation ability and a prompt come together at the same time. Let me explain that B, a little bit B further. equals map. B equals map. And so often, especially in our industry, you know, we're, we're both in health and wellness and really trying to help people live a happier, healthier life. So often we think it's only about motivation. We just need to amp up motivation or we just weren't motivated to do that. That actually is uh, improper thinking. It's actually thinking that will cause you more harm because the fault's on you. You think, oh, I just wasn't motivated. And you start feeling guilty. The fog behavior model tells us that there needs to be a call to action, which is the prompt. And that needs to occur when you have the ability to do the a behavior that you actually want to do. Not a should, but a want. 
And so, you know, here again, to restate the FOG behavior model, it tells us that behavior happens when motivation, ability, and a prompt come together at the same time. And so even in our own environment, or even as we're working with other people or with our, our you know, spouses or our children, and we want them to do a certain behavior, we need to look at it from a behavior design perspective. What is the call to action? What's the prompt? And when we ask them to do that behavior, do they have the ability to do it? And hopefully they're motivated to be you know, a contributing part of our family or community. So hopefully the motivation is already built into that. But you know, the ability is really, uh, in, in my, out of those three elements, I think it's the most important part because we get prompts all the time, but we don't have the ability. Like if, if your phone or my phone were to ring right now, my phone's on silent, but it will still vibrate. So you know, I still get that prompt. But I'm talking to you. I don't, not only do I not have the ability to answer the phone, I don't want to answer the phone because I'm focused on our conversation. So that's a good example of when you're looking at behaviors to dissect it down to what was the, the prompt, the call to action. And when that occurred, what was somebody's ability to do that behavior and what was their level of motivation? So yeah, motivation's in that equation, but it's not the most important piece. And I think one important clarification as we talk about ability is it's not a question of, are we good enough? Are we mm -hmm. strong enough? Are we disciplined enough? Do we have enough talent to be able to you know, fill in the blank? But rather it's, have we matched the habit we're trying to form to our current ability level, to something that we can consistently successfully do? So is it easy to do or hard to do is, is you know, uh, one way that I've seen you draw kind of that, that graph of, of this model and, and is an important paradigm in how we think about ability. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you mentioned uh, New Year's resolutions and this is, you know, at the beginning of the year, we all fall into the trap that we want to make massive changes and we want to do it like tomorrow. And, you know, a week later, we're frustrated because nothing's happened or it hasn't happened consistently. And here again, this falls back on our ability. You know, we, we don't have oftentimes the ability to make those massive changes. Also, you're relying on motivation or willpower to make those changes. So they're not sustainable. And so, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace and realize that if you make a behavior really easy to do when prompted, if it's a behavior you want to do or a habit you want to create, it will happen. It's like planting a little seed. You've got to plant that seed, allow it root, its root system to get into the ground and to get rooted before the plant starts to bloom and, and grow above ground. And so taking those little incremental tiny baby steps is the premise of the tiny habits method by increasing the ability by making the behavior really, really easy to do. Yeah. There's, there's two maxims you talk about with this model and, you know, these, these truths, these rules basically of this, of behavior change. And one of those is help yourself feel successful. Yes. And so talk to me a little bit more about that. You know, what, yeah. what, what, why is that important and how is it we help ourselves to feel successful? Uh, that one is my favorite maxim. Um, that's the second maxim in the tiny habits method, which is help yourself feel successful, help other people feel successful. That has changed my parenting dramatically. Um, I was the type of parent that was very uh, disciplinarian. You know, my kids had to do this, da, 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 da. if they didn't, there was a punishment or whatever, you know, maybe that's old school thinking. Um, but, you know, I, I do uh, give my kids credit for a lot of things I've learned in the behavior design world or habit formation world. You know, they've taught me more than I probably taught them. 
But by helping those around you feel successful or helping yourself feel successful, we are more apt to move along the path of change. It also opens up what we call success motivation, or I'm sorry, success momentum, not motivation, success momentum. And we've all experienced that when we feel good at, at doing something or when we're experiencing success, we're more apt to do it more often and more frequently and even much more of whatever that behavior is. So maxim number two, which is help yourself feel successful, really helps us view our, helps us give us some guidelines to view our own behaviors and view what we're trying to do. And that really also um, ties in very closely to the celebration part of the tiny habits method. So uh, even something as simple as you probably made your bed every day of your life, or at least maybe for the last you know 20 years, but when you make your bed, stand back and go, ah, that looks awesome. So just having um, a permission, I guess is the best way to put permission to acknowledge what you're doing right and to focus on what's going well. Um, in my coaching practice, when I'm working with a client or even when I'm training professionals to use the tiny habits method, one of the things that I like to start my sessions off with is having everybody in the group or if I'm coaching one-on-one, -on -one, having them share what, what's a win that you've had in the past week? What's something that you've done that's helped you feel successful? By bringing that up to the top of your mind and, and sharing that, acknowledging that, you'll find that your perspective shifts. And not only are you uh, going into learning new content or being coached in a more positive mindset, you feel better about what you're doing. So I do feel, and, and I'm going to get a little religious here, you know, in the scriptures, we're told that man is that he might have joy. Um, that really is the premise of all the scriptures. Feeling successful brings that joy into our lives. And so I think it really is important that we focus on what we're doing well and what we're doing right instead of where we're not enough or not measuring up. Oh, so true. And I think it also ties into, again, tiny habits mm -hmm. that we're much more likely to be able to feel successful as we make it easier on ourselves. And so let's really quick, since we brought up the maxims, just talk about the first maxim. And then yeah. I'm eager to get into the ABCs and, and after all this context to actually get into the method uh, itself. And so the first maxim is help yourself do what you already want to do. And so I think this is related you know, to the motivation part of B equals map. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about you know what that means and why it's important. Yeah, so often, especially as we're looking at New Year's resolutions or things that we want to change, we think about, oh, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Um, I'm going to encourage your listeners to take should out of their out of their vocabulary and to remove guilt from their lives as well. Uh, maxim number one, which, as you stated, tells us help help yourself do what you already want to do. That's the key. Um, tiny habits. Uh, is not dependent on motivation or willpower. In fact, it takes very, it doesn't take willpower and motivation at all to do because you're, you know, that maxim dictates, start with habits and behaviors that you want to create, not the shoulds. Here again, that might fly in the face of other methods that people have learned, but it's not about willpower. It's about, okay, what habits and behaviors do you want to start creating in your life and start there? What we find, and this goes back to our research in science, that habit formation really the, the the most important part of whether or not you can form a habit is your confidence. Do you have the confidence to create habits? Do you have the belief in yourself that you can change? Do you have a system or a methodology that you're confident that will work? In our five-day tiny habits program that's open to anybody that wants to go through that, um, 
every week we measure how people's confidence increases. Uh, one of the statistics that's pretty common, and like I said, changes a little bit from week to week, but typically 94% of the people that go through our five-day program at the end of the week said their confidence increased either greatly, somewhat, or to some degree. So there's three different levels. But the, the takeaway here is it really comes down to your confidence that you have a systematic approach that's going to work to help you achieve what you want to achieve and create habits that you want to create. And so this goes back to help people do what they already want to do. Once people know that they've learned a method that works, then those quote unquote shoulds trickle up and become wants because now they're not afraid of failure. They're not afraid that they're not going to be able to do it. They've gained their own evidence and proof that they can change using the tiny habits method. So let's jump into the method, the All tiny right. habits method. We got the ABCs. Yeah. What does that stand for? Yes. So as far as the ABCs of tiny habits, there's three parts of what we call the anatomy of a tiny habit. The first part of the anatomy is the anchor moment. That's the A. And, uh, you know, we talked about the fog behavior model a couple of minutes ago. And as you know, you know, no behavior happens without a prompt. In the tiny habits method, the anchor moment is an existing routine that in a tiny habit recipe, you identify as the prompt. It's going to tell you to do the next step or the next behavior. Uh, I'll give you some examples. We all have existing routines in our daily life that we can use in a tiny habit, um, such as, you know, most people when they get up, um, you know, the first thing they do is, they, you know, their heat feet hit the floor. That's an anchor moment. They usually use the bathroom. That's an anchor moment. That's an existing routine. They probably hopefully brush their teeth. That can be an anchor moment. Hopefully they take a shower or a bath. That's an anchor moment. So we all have these existing routines that then we can um, attach a new tiny behavior to. Um, one of my clients that I was working with this, this past month, in fact, I'm still working with her. She's adorable. She's from London and her name is Ina. And she's really struggling a lot with um, mental health challenges right now and just feeling overwhelmed and just really struggling with some, you know, she's lost her mother recently. She has a daughter that is combative, just a number of things that she's trying to overcome. And one of the habits that I suggested that she do is a habit of gratitude. We know that habits of gratitude can help change your perspective. It will help you see the world differently. We all have things, no matter how hard our lives are, that we can be grateful for. And so creating a daily habit of gratitude is one of the things that I think is really important for us to be resilient and also for us to have a more positive outlook on life. Now, let's face it, you know, we can't help other people if we can't help ourselves. If we're in a negative mindset or feeling overwhelmed or feeling like we just can't do it, then we don't have, it, you know, the old adage, put your life, uh, put your um, oxygen ma mask on first. We don't. So we've got to focus on helping ourselves feel whole, helping ourselves feel stable and positive before we can really make the difference in the world that we know we're called to do. Well, Ina, as we were talking about some habits of gratitude, was struggling with what to do. And two weeks ago on our call, I said, hey, Anna, Ina, how about if we do this? And I was very prescriptive in this. I said, what I want you to do is get a notebook, a little notebook that's only for writing one gratitude every single day, one thing that you're grateful for. And I want you to put it in the bathroom next to your toothbrush. And so the tiny habit recipe that we designed was after I brush my teeth, I will write one thing that I'm grateful for in my notebook. Within two or three days, and I talked to her 
a week after she started this and I talked to her again yesterday, within two or three days, she said, I actually am looking forward to brushing my teeth so that I then can write down something that I'm grateful for in my day or something that I'm grateful for in my life. And I told her as we were designing this recipe, I said, I don't care if you write the same thing every day. I just want you to acknowledge or be grateful for one thing every morning after you brush your teeth. And of course, celebrate that. Congratulate yourself that you did that. What she shared with me yesterday is it has really transformed the way that she looks at her day and her challenges because she's it's much like the Maui habit, but you know, she's expressing gratitude in a very difficult life that she has right now that is giving her more hope and a better outlook on her day. And so very small, tiny habit that makes a big difference. And, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, leveraging effect where other things um, she's recognizing other things that are going well in her day. And she's, uh, interacting with her clients and with her daughter in a more positive manner because of that. Pretty amazing. Oh, it is amazing. And it, it makes me think back of when you were sharing you know, your experience from, from about a decade ago where BJ said, Hey, just, just as your feet hit the floor, I want you to just, you know, say today's going to be a great day. And, and your response was, Hey, I need some real help here. You know, like the, the, that is not going to be good enough for the types of, of things that the burdens I'm carrying in life right now. But this is, I think, a really important paradigm shift that so often when we feel the significance of our problems and, and the true struggle of the challenges we're dealing with, we feel that we need to have some momentum change, some mm-hmm. momentum support to feel differently in life. But I think it's a really important point. And my experience is the same, that it's actually small and simple shifts that ultimately in the long run, create the transformative change that we're looking for. And so start small. And, and that was just another evidence of that, of that experience you shared there. So ABCs, A is the anchor, it's the prompt. And one of the things that I've heard you recommend before, in fact, you've recommended to our community previously is it's it's actually really helpful as you start to think about writing these tiny habit recipes in your life to start by just brainstorming what are all of those existing routines that happen every day or almost every day you know come up with 20 or 30 of those because then you can pull from that as you start to think about well here what's a tiny habit i want to start what what anchor can i use as my prompt so uh, again very very helpful there anchor uh, what about our b here B is behavior. Now here's the key. The behavior needs to be really, really tiny. It needs to be really easy to do. That that does not take willpower or motivation to do. Um, Let me give you an example how how tiny is tiny enough. Like if somebody wants to create the habit of of flossing their teeth, the tiny habit might be after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. Now you might say one tooth. Why would you even do one tooth? because it's so tiny. It's easy to do. There's no resistance to doing one tooth. doesn't mean you can't do the rest, but you know, you're starting off with these little tiny incremental baby steps, you know, flossing that one tooth and feeling good about that. Um, so the, the, the behaviors need to be tiny enough that they, they, there's no resistance to them. For example, one of my clients that wanted to walk every day after dinner, that's exact. She, you know, I was working with her. She's I want to walk for 30 minutes every day after dinner. She was pretty sedentary. Now, at that time, I was also working with her as a personal trainer. And of course, I could have motivated her and amped her up and guilted her into walking if she didn't do it one day to do it the next day. That's the old school approach. It does not work. And so with Rebecca, I said, okay, when after dinner do you want to walk? And we walked through her dinnertime routine. 
and found what we call the trailing edge of the anchor moment, which is after I start the dishwasher. That was the very last part of her dinnertime routine. And the tiny behavior that we created as an automatic behavior was simply putting on her walking shoes. That was it and celebrating. And when I told, when we talked about this habit, um, so it's like, okay, Rebecca, your tiny habit recipe is after I start the dishwasher, I'll put on my walking shoes and celebrate. She goes, well, that's all I need to do. I said, yeah, right now we want to create that as your automatic behavior. So you're ready to do take the next step later on. And her response is, oh, that's easy. I can do that. So there was, we'd remove the resistance within 10 days. She was walking consistently every day after dinner. I didn't have to push her. Um, she was ready to walk. She felt good about it. And so she just started walking down the street, you know, outside where she wanted to. I didn't care if it was 30 minutes. I didn't care if it was five minutes. What I cared about is this was becoming a regular part of her daily routine. And that's what we were focusing on. You know, there's another writer that, that I've heard describe this concept as floors and ceilings. That oftentimes as we have, you know, these big desires of these things that we know, again, will be really helpful for us. It, we have the ceiling of this is where I want to get to. And, and maybe it's not even the ceiling, it's somewhere in between. But but having the tiny habit becomes your floor that you can celebrate that if if on a given day, you know, if if Rebecca, now that she's in this great habit of walking every day, if one day she gets her shoes on and decides, you know what, I, I'm not feeling it today. She can still celebrate. She can still feel successful, help herself feel successful because she did the tiny habit of at least putting her shoes on. And that was the target. And by having that as, as kind of the mentality where we can uh, be successful, feel successful, even when we hit the floor, that, that laughable, almost laughably small uh, form of the habit, that's what breeds the consistency that most often leads to doing a lot more than just the floor. And, or my wife has had the similar experience with meditation. I know you've talked about uh, your own meditation practice, how uh, when, after you finish brushing your teeth, you put down your toothbrush and you have a chair that you do meditation in. It's your meditation chair. And you're successful if all you do is sit down in that chair and, and then that, that, that can be enough, but most of the time it leads to your more full you know, meditation. And my, my wife has had a similar experience where even a one minute meditation, that's the floor. She can be successful if that's all, all she fits in, you know, that day, but most of the time it, it leads to a longer meditation and, and it serves her very well. And that's a great example, you know? And so thank you for sharing that. The real key with habits is like you said, is, is, uh, not doing, you know, the 30 minute run or the 10 minute, you know, 30 minute walk or the 20 minute meditation, but it's having a time in your day where that's one of your consistent routines. And uh, you mentioned just a minute ago, how you felt good about putting on your, your running shoes. That's that goes back to maximum number two is help yourself feel successful. People change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And so that too might be a paradigm shift of realizing that if we want to facilitate change and transformation in ourselves, we need to help ourselves feel good about our little tiny movements forward. If we want to do it in other people, the same principle applies, help them feel good about what they're doing. Just the little tiny increments of change or little tiny consistent behaviors that they're implementing in their daily routines. Which actually leads perfectly into the C of the ABCs yeah. of celebration, which which really is based off of this thought that this this truth that emotions create habits, and so we want to attach positive emotions 
to our tiny habits, because again, as you've been teaching that, that helps to breed uh, further consistency of those behaviors and habits we want. So as we think about celebrating, what does that typically look like? Yeah, this is part of the method that a lot of people will dismiss. Um, this is also part of the method that others that copy BJ's method miss <laughs> and completely don't understand this concept. But this concept by itself will help you create habits. And that's exactly what you said. Emotions create habits. So how do we tap into those emotions? And what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to reinforce the behaviors that you want to become habitual with positive emotions. Now, it's not a piece of chocolate. It's not a new pair of shoes. It's not a glass of wine, but it's an immediate attachment of feeling good, immediate release of endorphins and dopamine. Um, I'm going to bust a couple myths here. One of the myths is it does not take 21 days to create a habit. That's a fallacy. The other myth is repetition creates habit. That's also a fallacy. Um, and I'll give you an example why those are both false. Uh, I want you to think, Todd, I'm going to challenge you. I want you to think, this won't be too challenging for you, but I want you to think of a behavior that you do consistently that only took you once or twice to do or a habit. In fact, all the listeners, you, you can think of something that you do consistently now, but only took once or twice before it became an automatic behavior for you. Yeah, I think of a lot of the, just the hygienic uh, you know, habits that are normal routines in life. Yeah, those things didn't require you know much much of me. It's just something I decided to do, and it became a routine, and did it you know right away. Uh, those that's what comes immediately to mind. But maybe you have some Ooh. better examples. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I'm going to ask you why why did those? Well, you said they feel good. They're consistent, and they make you feel good. That's the secret. Is you feel you feel good about it. Um. One of my habits that I started about a year and a half ago, and it wasn't even a tiny habit, but it's an example of how emotions create habits is I've got an aura ring. I've had this ring for an, a year and a half and you're probably familiar. Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. So this is a perfect example thought. Okay. So your aura ring, um, and you know, for people that aren't familiar with aura rings, I love mine, but it, it measures your biometrics of your body and it trans it, it transfers those to an app on your phone. Now I, I uh, struggle with sleep. I'm always working on improving my sleep habits. Um, and once I got my aura ring and paired it with my phone, it gave me more information and, and information and knowledge is not power it's the behavior behind it, but it helped me evaluate my nighttime routine to improve it, to get better sleep. So Todd, how many times did it take you 21 times to check your readout on your phone for you to consistently use your aura ring? No, not at all. I got it. And the next day I've, I've worn it basically every day since. Okay. So exactly. So there's a good example of how emotions create habits. Uh, for me, my aura ring made me feel empowered. It made me feel like I now knew how I could uh, design my nighttime routine for better sleep. Now for you, you probably had a similar emotion or a similar positive feeling since it took one day, right? One day to lock in that habit. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting as you've, as you've talked, it's given me a chance to think more too. you know, another one of those habits for me that, that didn't require, you know, any time to create consistency, uh, is keeping a gratitude journal at night where I just record at least, at least a sentence, a minimum of a sentence of something that I'm grateful for. And I think the reason why that, uh, in part had such immediate effect is one, uh, my wife actually used that habit 
to, to really heal from some, some difficult mm-hmm. things during a hard time. And so I saw just very, uh, right in front of me, the impact, uh, that that had, uh, for her. And, and then I think the other is it, at the time where I felt that need, it, it became just this automatic part of my bedtime routine where naturally, right as I went to bed, my notebook was right there next to the table. And as I sat on my bed, the very first thing I did was pull that out and write on it. And it didn't, it didn't take any time. Uh, immediately, I got into the habit and it's been a habit for years now. Yeah. That's another great example of a well-designed time of the day, a prompt as you were going to bed. You know, it was really easy for you to do. You got yourself set up for success by having that notebook close by and you felt good about it. That's the emotion part of it. So, you know, as we start looking at our habits and behaviors, we need to realize it really comes down to, uh, and as we're developing tiny habits, and this is celebration, it really comes down to the strength of the emotion that we associated with that behavior. The stronger that emotion is, the faster that becomes an automatic behavior, and the faster that behavior grows from that tiny behavior to maybe be, be a bigger behavior if that's what you want. Now, the question that often comes up for me was, well, what kind... What do you do to celebrate? What kinds of celebrations do you use? What do you mean? Um, it can be anything as you know, simple as saying good job or way to go or yes, I did it or even reading what you wrote down in, in gratitude and pull up the positive feeling that you associated with that. Um, now, one of my favorite celebrations is on my screensaver of my phone. I have a picture of two of my granddaughters, little ti- uh, one and a half year old and a three year old hugging each other. That always pulls up positive feelings for me. And so that's an easy way for for me to tap into those endorphins and dopamine and associate those positive feelings with a new behavior. Um, we're currently researching some other ways to celebrate as well. And one of them is called a purpose-focused celebration. So for example, you know, as a mom, what are some of the things that I want to do as a mom? And what is my purpose as a mom? And some of the behaviors and habits that I want to incorporate might help me be a better mom. And so my, my celebration can reflect on the fact that my bigger purpose in doing this habit and behavior is to become a better mom. Another more tangible example is one of my weight loss clients. And his tiny habit was after I opened the fridge, I'll throw away one item of food that's not healthy for me. And then he would reflect on why he was doing that habit. It's because he wanted to have longevity. He wanted to have health so he could be around when his boys graduated from high school, college, and got married. So even reflecting on the bigger purpose, and I'm not saying your why, but your bigger purpose of doing that habit and associating those feelings with that purpose, with that behavior is going to help lock in that behavior. Oh, I love those examples. And I've, and I've absolutely loved our conversation, Linda, and I could continue and go on and on with you. But to wrap things up, I, I want to thank you for just your wonderful insight. And I think you have this shared perspective as, as our community does, as we you talk about putting the faith, the, the oxygen mask on ourselves first. I hear that we call that caring for ourselves so that we can care for the world. And most often, again, that's caring for the people that are most immediately around us, those that, that we love, our family, our friends, you know, thinking about how we can incorporate this method and this model into our approach in this new year. Uh, I just, I am excited about the impact that it can have. So my last question just for you is for those who are listening and have just found uh, a lot of benefit as they've been learning from you, you know, where, where can they find you and, and further tiny habit support? Thank you. Yeah, they can find me at tinyhabitsacademy.com. 
And they're, if they want to sign up to go for, through our free five-day tiny habits program, it's an email-based program. It takes about 20 minutes to get set up and maybe three or four minutes a day to execute on. We have coaches and professionals to help them. Um, also, you can find me on social media at Linda at Fog Phillips. And really, truly, I'm going back to my horse accident. I know my purpose is to help others gain that hope and evidence that they can change, especially when they're in a dark space in their life. So I do want to invite those that are struggling with challenges and, and overwhelmed with that uh, difficult situations, please reach out. Let us help you. Um, I, I know this method works. We know it's a divinely inspired method to really give people back their purpose, their strength, and their ability to help others. Thank you, um, Todd. Oh, I'm so grateful for you living your purpose, Linda, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this interview with Linda Fogg Phillips. If this episode has resonated with you, I invite you to subscribe to the show, leave a review, or share the podcast with a friend. As a new podcast, these actions have a significant impact in helping us to fulfill our mission and reach more people. I am so grateful to be traveling this journey with you of growing our capacity through whole person well-being.